From the Sunshine State, this is Tampa Bay's TAN Talk. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. I'll come Santa Claus on you. Hey, everybody, this is Matey, like Tom Matey without the tuh. Just remember, you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars right here on the radio. And if you're not, then I don't know what the heck you're listening to. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers at Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreetMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, 500 and I don't know, somewhere in the 90s uh, shows, don't forget to check out uh, oh, Nostalgic Radio and Cars.com. Good evening, Bobby. How you doing? I'm just jolly. Just jelly should be more like ho 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 ho! Merry Christmas, no, everybody! Just, you don't like that no, one? Okay, well, I was, that was that was my rendition. <laughs> that was yours. That's a that was an authentic one. The one you played was kind of like a recording. Oh, anyway, yeah, that's true. That's true. That, that's true. Yeah. See, oh, so you, you I found to, out about me. Yeah. Well, I had to play sound I, effects over here. I did they to, know that? I don't know. But I did play Santa Claus a couple of times for some of the neighbor kids. Anyway, Merry Christmas, everybody. This is our Christmas show. we got a very, very, very special guest coming on the show here in a few minutes. And uh, how's our time schedule here looking, Bobby? Oh, we're doing all right. We're doing all right? Okay, so, uh, well, you know, there's, uh, I guess there's a few Christmas shows coming up. But if you want to find out where all the Christmas shows are, all the car shows, definitely check out... Uh, man, my, my mind's going blank. FLACarshows.com, right? That's, is that the one? Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure, but I think Lead, Leadfoot Cities is doing their event this week. Um, we usually go to the third Saturday of the month. We usually go to the villages and check out what's going on up there. But I know they had a Mopar show here recently. So there might be something going on up there. Of course, there's always something going on at the villages. Big shout out to a couple of my friends. Oh, everybody that's tuned into our show over the years. Big shout out to my uh, good buddies over there at Midway Shoe Repair because I had a flat today, so I had to get that thing fixed. So now I'm 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 sold. My soul's healed. How about that? <laughs> I think he's got a little something on the wall about something to that effect. Well, but at any rate, let's, we got this very special guest. He's on hold. Oh my gosh! All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. We'll be right back. Stick stick around for the next hour. This is going to be a great show. You're going to truly enjoy this, and you're going to truly enjoy this guy. And you're going to know who this guy is. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce our very special Christmas guest for this evening. I'm delighted to welcome back to the show our favorite car guy, Jay Leno. Jay, how are you this evening? Good, good. Merry Christmas to you, too. Yes, absolutely. We're only a few days away. Well, this is just a real treat. So uh, I understand you've been very, very busy. And you know what I do a lot? I, when, I'm, when I'm sitting here and I'm doing my appraisals or I'm working on paperwork, I always tune into Jay Leno's garage. And I truly get a kick out of it because it amazes me. Of all the guests that you have on there that surprisingly are interested in, in classic and antique cars. So I just kind of wanted to have you share with us some of the guests. But one question I always that goes through my mind is when you bring these cars out and you have these guests get in the car, 
especially some of the very rare cars that you actually own, do you kind of like get really, really nervous when they get behind the wheel and they, they're not really the kind of driver car enthusiast to the extent that you are? No, 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 not at all. I mean, there are two different shows. There's Jay Long's Garage on YouTube, which is more the technical aspect of the cars and not so much, you know, the celebrity angle. And then there's the Jay Long's Garage on CNBC, which is kind of like a rolling tonight show. You know, you're doing an interview with a guest in a car and it isn't so much a lot of times about the te- technical aspect of the automobile. It's about, oh, my dad took me for ice cream every Sunday. The family went in one of these, you know, an old Packard or whatever it might be. But, no, I, I don't get too narrow. And, uh, no, not really. You know, during COVID, we weren't allowed to have two people in the same car under the rules. So we always had a second car for the other person to drive, and we talk via, uh, you know, a headset. And that worked out okay, actually. It wasn't too bad. It wasn't too intrusive. So, uh, but no, I don't really get nervous. No, I mean, when you talk with Tim Allen or Jerry Seinfeld or any of these kind of guys, they're real car people. Once in a while, you get somebody who's not really a car person, and it's just sort of funny, you know. <laughs> How do you go about getting some of the guests? I mean, do you kind of like, uh, I mean, I know that when you're on your, your TV show, um, the Tonight Show. Well, here's how it works. Okay. You call them up and you go, look, I don't care about your cocaine bust. We're not talking <laughs> about how bad your movie bombed. We're not talking about your divorce. It's strictly cars or motorcycles. That's all it is. You know, and if, and if there's anything else, we edit it out. And they go, oh, sure, okay. Because, you know, what happens is a lot, of, a lot of shows are looking for ratings or they're looking for some exclusive, you know, well, we got someone that'll open up about his divorce or whatever, you know. Uh, but that's not the case. And, and, and most of the people we've had on the show, I know from The Tonight Show, you know, John Hamm and all. John Hamm, a huge car guy. A lot of these people, they, they, they know that's what I'm doing. They've seen this show. Other people say, oh, yeah, no, Jay's not going to go there. Oh, okay. Because all you have to do is, you know, break the trust once and then word spreads pretty quickly. Well, I know. I remember you said to me one time, and it was a good word of advice. You know, I mean, I, I've had a number of people give me advice. Say, whenever you interview somebody, make sure you ask a good question. That was Dave Despain, and then uh, Bob Varsha used to say, "Well, you know, you're basically a color, so that means you have to know enough to ask a sensible question and let the guest take over." And then your best advice you ever gave me is that when during my interviews, I'm good about. Do not ambush interview people. Just keep it straight. Stick to the narrative, which is basically what you just said, and that works. Yeah, and and that works. Nobody likes to have somebody jump out of the bushes and you know with some stupid huh. question. Uh, but I mean, that, I know from the entertainment angle of it because it happens to me too. Like you never answer a question; you always break your silence. That's break the si- <laughs> you know. I, I've never been silent my whole life. I'm talking all the time, so I don't know what my silence was. Either that or when you answer a question, never say you answered the question. They say, Leno lashes out. You know, you, I didn't lash out. But, you know, though, that's called clickbait. That You know, you want to get people to read a story, so they do that kind of stuff. But when it comes to cars and motorcycles, you know, that's one of those common grounds. It's not politics. It's not religion. Uh, it's like talking sports. You know, you can debate the uh, advantage of a dual clutch transmission versus an auto versus a uh, you know a manual transmission whatever it might be and and it's fun you know uh last week it was last week or the week before last we had wayne carini on and wayne and i were kind of jaw jacking a little bit about the electric car and he was telling us a story about how he had one and he was a little unsure about it. It was a little unsettling because he was worried about, you know, running out of juice and not being able to, because he's out in the country a little bit. So I made a comment to him. I said, you know what we should do if if everybody's game is it would be interesting to have, let's say, like a round table, have two guys that are and I'm not necessarily a big fan of electric cars. I get it. But you are. Wayne and I aren't. And I thought if we could get another person on that would be like in your corner and just have a real civil debate about you know, the pros and cons about electric cars, because I'm just curious. What I don't like is the fact that they're trying to force it down our throats when there's other alternatives. There's hydrogen, there's the alternative fuels and some of this other stuff, and nobody talks well, actually, about that. But it, it's not really, you know, that's the American way. I mean, when home recording came out, beta was better than VHS. But VHS was cheaper to manufacture. Okay. 
So manufacturers flooded America with VHS tapes. They bought up libraries so there was enough movies. Okay, so everybody just went to VHS and tape fell by the wayside. I mean, that's the way it works. You come up with something everybody likes or everybody can agree on, and then you go with it, whether it's the best solution or not. You know, you go to Europe and they don't have 110 volts. They got 220 because that's better. But we started our com- our country on 110 volts. So, okay. So we, we're 110 volts. I mean, it's, uh, was the gasoline car forced down our throats in 1911 when uh, it replaced horses? I don't know. But the government saw the advantage of it or people saw the advantage of it. You know, for new technology to succeed, it can't be equal. It's got to be superior. It's the reason the Wankel engine failed. Great motor, lightweight, fast, not a lot of torque, but fun to drive, high revving, extremely smooth. But it did tend to use oil, and it did tend to get two to four miles per gallon less per mile than gasoline, than uh, than the internal combustion engine. So consequently, it hung around for a while and then eventually it fell off the cliff and if you go back to 2011 when electric cars the maximum range was 200 miles that was eh, okay if it had stayed to 200 miles the electric car i think would go the way of the wankle but now you have the new mercedes eqs 621 miles you go wow 621 miles you can drive la to san francisco no problem you know uh so um I find I deal with people in showbiz who know nothing about cars and they like electric because there's no maintenance. I mean, I've had a Tesla for seven years. There's got a new one. It never, ever went to the dealer and it never, ever was serviced other than, you know, a flat tire. Uh, that's it. And so you go, Oh, that's pretty convenient, you know? And that's what makes it easy to live with, you know? Uh, I mean, when I go out to the garage, if I'm driving the Tesla, I've got, quote, a full tank every day because I leave it plugged in overnight. <clears throat> and I have that Tesla Plaid, and that has a range about 390, 400 miles. And that's more than enough on a daily basis because in L.A., gasoline is between $5 a gallon and 660 a gallon, which is crazy, but that's what it is. I mean, I went past a, a gas station in Beverly Hills, and they were advertising, they were bragging that it was six sixty a gallon on the sign. I'm going, really? <laughs> okay, so I can fill up for 100 bucks a week with a gas car, or I could run the Tesla and have not only the fastest accelerating vehicle you could buy bar none, it costs me maybe 20 bucks a week to run, if that. I, I You know, so, so to me, the advantage of electric, it's, you know, it's like, it's sort of like smoking. It's bad for you, and eventually people just stop doing it, and the government gives you incentive to stop doing it. And I mean, I don't, I, I think you're going to have internal combustion for a long, long time. But, you know, you go back 120 years ago, and it was steam, electric, or internal combustion. And each one had a third of the market, and each one was pretty good. The electric car didn't win because I have a 1909 Baker, and that goes 80 miles on a charge, which is impressive. But most people did not have electricity in their home. So the idea of plugging it in and the cost charging time took a long time back in those days. So that really didn't work out. And steam, although extremely reliable and torquey and quiet, was just dirty and messy and you had to get under the car all the time and light it with a match and do all that kind of stuff so you see that why that got replaced by the internal combustion engine you know and steam ran everything from 1800 to 1911 then internal combustion from 1911 till now and i predict i mean a kid born today will probably ride in a gasoline car about as often as you ride in a manual shift car now I mean, most people today have no idea how to drive a stick shift, uh, but they're still around, and you can still get them via Porsche or Corvette. Or, well, Corvette's gone too, but you know. So, I mean, things it just sort of takes its toll. I, you know, 
I, you don't have to buy an electric car. There's no, but if incentives are good enough, then people do. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't, I wouldn't like to see them ban the gasoline car, but what happens is you just make it inconvenient. You know, the idea that when you get a gasoline, first you bring it in for the 600 mile change, uh, oil change and service. That's what a few hundred dollars. And then you have every 3,000 miles, 5,000 miles, an oil change. You've got to go somewhere to get the oil change. Filter, flush it, do all that. You know, with an electric, there's nothing. I mean, you don't do anything. And it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. What's the, long, the life expectancy of the motors? I mean, if there is something, since you're familiar with them, if something is to go bad, what would it be? I mean, are there electronics on board? Well, I mean... My 1909 Baker Electric, when I got it, I restored the body, fenders, and the interior. The motor needed nothing. I mean, I opened up that motor, took the covers off. It was the most beautiful (laughs) hand-wound copper you've ever seen. I mean, it looked, A, brand new, because it's not running in fluids or dirt, so maybe clean the commutator a little bit or something, but it's, I mean, it sat for 50 years and I put, I put power to it and boom, and it ran. I mean, electric, uh, I mean, I had my Tesla Model S, I had it seven years and maybe battery degradation was maybe 5%. Instead of 240 miles on a charge, it was 231 or something like that. But that's the most that ever lost. Uh, so the battery lasted, well, the seven years I had it. I never did anything to it. The motor's never been looked at. There's no fluids to change other than maybe brake fluid. But even brakes last almost life of the car because when you lift off the gas, it decelerates. And it works as a brake. So you only really ever use the brakes when you tap the pedal to, you know, to come to a full stop. So it was pretty amazing. I mean, my 1909 Baker, I've got a very early Tesla engine, a Nikolai Tesla, not Tesla cars, a Nikolai Tesla engine from the late 1800s. And, you know, I plug it in for people once or twice a week when they come to the garage. Again, I've never done anything to it. It runs perfectly. It's quiet. It, it's and it makes electricity. So, you know, even Ferdinand Porsche thought the best way to power a car was gasoline, because his first car was a hybrid. It was a gasoline. I mean, a electric car. Uh, if you look at that Porsche from 1901 that they found in the barn, it was electric and pretty advanced, but. The trouble with electricity has been the same for the last, oh, till before just recently, battery life. You know, you, you just didn't get the range on it. You know, you could go, you know, the same thing. For example, when you see electric motorcycles now, uh, I don't really believe in those because I ride a motorcycle for the day. I don't ride it for an hour. You know, most electric motorcycles... Well, you know, electricity is like sex. Guys lie about it. <laughs> you know, I mean, nobody, nobody. You know, if you have a Japanese hunger striker driving naked and barefoot, maybe you're going to get 125 miles on the battery. But if you ride an electric motorcycle the way you ride a gas motorcycle, you're probably going to get a range of between 80 or 100 miles or less, opening the throttle and you know, powering out of corners and all kinds. So consequently. To me, the electric motorcycle doesn't make any sense because you really have a limited range. With an automobile or a truck, for example, I was in that, you know, uh, Elon Musk has got that electric semi-truck. Okay, imagine an 18-wheeler that can haul 80,000 pounds that goes zero to 60 in under three seconds. I mean, this was unbelievable. It was like driving the Empire State Building. The whole thing just moved us, and it went 500 miles on a charge, and that's, it's not out yet, it's pre-production. But, you know, it's the future, and you can you can look to it, 
you can go kicking and screaming into it. Or and and believe me, I enjoy living in the past. But to me, I think cars like your your Hemi Cooter, your GTO, your Ford, uh, you know, your Mustang from the '60s, they'll be the way you use a recreational vehicle. You drive an electric vehicle during the day, and then. On the weekends, you take your Mustang or your Ferrari, whatever, you go up into the hills, you zip around, or you do whatever it is you do, you know. But there's no reason to drive a 426 Hemi Cuda with two four barrels <laughs> on a bumper-to-bumper, you know, on the 405 freeway in Los Angeles. All you're doing is just polluting and wasting fuel. So why not use your electric car to run errands and do what you have to do, and then use your gas car on the weekends purely for pleasure, you know. I mean, for example... There are more horses in America now than there were during the Civil War because horses are now pleasure, uh, pleasurable animals. You use them for pleasure and for fun. No, really, nobody really uses them for work anymore, you know. And uh, it's the same thing I think with the diesel and internal combustion. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because whenever I'm out um, in California, and I'm from Northern California, up. Uh, um, in the Marin County area, and so I got there to visit, especially during Monterey Collector Car Week. But I see a tremendous amount of classic cars always driving around that they look like they're daily users. In Florida, by contrast, you don't really see it because we need definitely need air here, and and it is humid, and it does rain a lot, and but people around here tend to use them more, like you said, on a limited basis, more of a show deal. Now I, because I'm in the business. And a couple of friends of mine, Chris at Lincoln Land, I mean, he drives old Lincolns. I drive, you know, old sports cars every once in a while and a Mustang or something. And you're right. I mean, but if I, but that's just for buzzing around here locally or something. But if I've got to take a trip, I jump in a 2017, 18 car that I bought at an auction or something like that and drive it for a while. And it's reliable. Exactly. And because of the comforts. Yeah. I mean, I think, for example, it is easier to restore an antique car today than it was 40, 50 years ago. You know, I remember going to car shows as a teenager, and there'd be a Duesenberg or a Packard with three truck tires, only one of them was a <laughs> white wall, and because it was the only tires available. And the guy would win the show because at least he found tires, you know. Now people make tires with 3D printing. You can make almost any part. So it's, it's uh, I, I, I mean, I'm optimistic. It looks good. I mean, obviously the junkyards are all gone, and you can't, you know, I bought a piece of chrome trim for my 57 Buick that would probably would have been $15 when I was a kid. It was $1,000 now oh. because you just, you, you're just not going to find them anymore. You know? When you were younger, um, I think, didn't you, didn't somewhere didn't you say, or you were telling us once that you used to work in a garage and you were kind of like a, a ranch there for a while in New England? But- yeah, I worked, at, I worked at Wilmington Ford in Wilmington, Massachusetts, uh, we did what we used to call odometer recalibration. <laughs> a car mistakenly came in with 90,000 miles. We would do the corrective mileage of 12.5, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, yeah. now I worked there, and then I worked at Foreign Motors in Boston, which was, uh, it sounds funny to call it Foreign Motors, but that's what it was. We had Mercedes, Peugeot, Bentley, Rolls-Royce, uh, Citroën, and a few others. You know, we just sold foreign vehicles, Yeah. Um, well, when you were younger then, so on some of the cars you worked, were you kind of the guy that went to, I mean, did you go to junkyards back in the day, hunting down parts with some of your friends and buddies? I mean, did, did you hang out with guys that had other interests in cars besides, let's say? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. I mean, God, there was a junkyard and every town had a junkyard, you know, and it's funny how you look at stuff because when I was a kid, we were all looking for 32 Fords, uh, and you'd find in a junkyard a 59 Cadillac or, you know, or a 58 Oldsmobile or something. And you go, well, that's just a demolition derby thing. I mean, we used to buy those kind of cars. You know, I, I, it's funny how your memory is because I remember about 15, 20 years ago I was at Pebble Beach and a friend of mine said, I'm looking at a 59 Cadillac. I said, how much are they asking for it? 75. And I went, 7,500, that's crazy. He went, no, 75,000. I go, what? What do you mean? Because I remember buying one for 600 bucks. And you put eight guys in it, you go to the drive-in, you know, just crazy. So it, it's amazing what, you know, we all thought cars in the 50s would never be worth anything because you all want a car. But now people look for cars in the 50s or 60s, you know, so it's, it's, it just moves forward. Uh, you know, I, I, when I was doing the Tonight Show, 
we had interns. One college kid said to me, uh, hey, Miss Lona, you like classic cars? I do, too. I said, oh. I said, you have any classic cars? He goes, oh, yeah. I says, what do you got? He said, uh, mid-'90s Miata. And, I, and to me, it just kind of made me laugh. But to him, that was a classic car because it was built before he was born. You know, and it, it just made me smile. You know, it's interesting, too, uh, and I want to get your take on this. Okay, since the we're talking about values there a little bit because you touched on that, and then, of course, the 404, and that brings me up to the Jay Leno's garage where you had Donald Ozor, and he was talking about the Peugeot 404. And when I was a kid in Europe, my teacher in, 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 in Vienna, Austria, who was English, had a 404, and I remember those cars very well. But where I'm going with this is that since this whole COVID outbreak, and I don't know what the take of it, but at any rate, um, have you noticed that, the car values have gone, like, skyrocketed. What's your take on that? Well, the take is the fact, I have a friend of mine who's a big finance guy, and he said during COVID, Americans saved $1.8 trillion. Really? It was money they just, well, you couldn't travel, weren't going out to restaurants. I mean, so what did people do with the money? They saved it. They put it in the bank. And consequently, you know, you're sitting home, what are you doing? If you're a guy, you're reading car magazines and so on so okay now you're gonna and then you're thinking you know what if i get what if i die tomorrow you know i'm gonna buy that 57 chevy i don't care you know, i've always wanted and then you go and that's what happened so consequently the prices all sort of skyrocketed because people thought you know screw it i'm just going to get the, the thing i've been looking for like that corvette or whatever it is or they want mustang and 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 that's what happened that's what sent the prices sky high wow i you know it's it's funny and then and i know you follow bring a trailer and the other thing i noticed right. that's real interesting on bring a trailer is all the low mileage cars are breaking the bank the average mileage car they're doing okay. They're still up there, but the low, low mileage car, like that eighty-six nine eleven, that brought one hundred and forty thousand bucks, and it had an, it was nineteen thousand mile car. What's your take on that? Well, nineteen thousand is is good mileage. The ones I don't get are the you know the two thousand five Ford GT eighteen miles, and they go, well, why would you buy that and and not drive? You know, is your wife a virgin too? I mean, <laughs> what are you and what are you saving this for? You know, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, and, and to me, I find, you know, the, in America, there's still this myth that a car is worn out at 60,000 miles or 70,000 miles. I've got a 68 Mercedes 6.3. It's got 326,000 miles on it. I use it all the time, and it's pretty bulletproof. Uh, I've got a Lamborghini Countach, which I've had for 40 years. I'm well, 38 years. And it's got over 76,000 miles. And it runs, you know, if you run them and you use them for their intended purpose, you know, to me, these guys that let a, like a Ferrari or something sit, okay, so half your engine is under the oil and the other half is above the oil. Up to about the crank seal. Everything below the crank seal is nice and lubricated. Everything above that is dry. And when you fire up a car that hasn't been run in 15 years or 10 years, boy, you're just doing metal on metal you know you just it's like driving at ten thousand miles on that initial startup uh i think you're i mean i'm probably maybe exaggerating a little bit but i think there's a certain amount of truth to it i know seals dry out you know with the crankshaft half the seal is under is in the oil and the other half is dry well the parts it's dry as soon as you fire it up it's going to be brittle it's not going to be soft and pliable like the other part of it because it's been out in the atmosphere. It's been. It's not. It's not under oil. You know. It's getting air. It's getting moisture. You know. So to me, I never look. Mileage doesn't bother me that much, unless it's unless something's just been beaten to death. You know. But for the most part, no. I, I don't worry about that. Well, because I have people ask me that all the time. Because every once in a while, I I kind of I'll buy a Porsche or I'll buy a. Because being a dealer, I just kind of buy some stuff every once in a while. Maybe it'll BMW, a Mustang. And everybody asks, well, what's the mileage? And I said, well, you know, it's interesting, particularly with 911s, is Porsches is just, and that's the one anomaly with cars. There's something about a 911. It's, I don't know what it is. It's magical, I guess. Everybody wants one. Everybody likes them. They don't break. They're pretty decent cars, particularly the, you know, the late, the, the 70s cars, um, the 78, right, the 89 you cars. Did, but you just, you just answered your own question. You know, for example, like whenever I would watch car, like Reed in Car and Driver or Road and Track, they do the shootout. Right. And it would always be the Corvette and the Porsches win. The Ferraris and the Lamborghinis, either they don't show up 
or there's some problem because people don't drive them in their intended manner. You know, a a Corvette is meant to be driven hard, and so is a 911. Uh, And they want you to drive it hard. They want you to test it to its limits because it's been built to its limits. You know, when you talk to Porsche owners, you talk to Ferrari guys, and they brag that their Enzo they bought 28 years ago still only has 1,800 miles. And you talk to a Porsche guy, and he's got 200,000 and bragging about it. Yeah. It's still running. I mean, my 6.3 Mercedes, I love the fact it's got 326,000 miles on. Of course, I've replaced the air suspension and fixed things. But the basic motor is real solid. You just change the oil, and you, you treat it properly. You let it warm up and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And and they run fine. It'll, it'll it'll last forever. You know, I bought a friend of mine, a guy I went to school with. Uh, he and I would always talk cars, you know. And I, I felt kind of bad because I had all these fancy cars and he had an old uh, Triumph, you know. So I said, I'm going to surprise him. So I bought him a Corvette, a secondhand C5 Corvette. It had 90, like 96,000 miles on it. And you know something? I gave it to him a year and a half ago. He drives it every day. It runs fine. It doesn't use oil. It passes the smog. Because the car was maintained and, and treated well. And he changes the oil regularly and does stuff like that. And that car will go easy 140, 150,000 before it needs anything. And this guy's in his 70s like I am. So he's not driving it hard, hard. He's not tracking the car. He, you know, he just takes it out and puts his foot in it on a Sunday of eight now and then and has some fun drives up to New Hampshire or something like that with it. And and I, I got the car for a song because no, no, nobody wants a car that was 96,000 miles. But I looked at it. The owner maintained it. Uh, it. It looked clean. It ran clean. It didn't have aftermarket hoses. Everything was done. It's a dealer. So the car lasted, will last a long time. That's the point, is the car that's been driven, if anything's wrong, because you're driving it and you're relying on it, you have kind of maintained it and fixed all the little things that could go wrong. Where a car that sits, you know, there's no telling what you drive it up. You think you're going to go out for a Sunday drive and and something breaks, something quits, something doesn't work. Well, that's my favorite thing when I read auctions. And the last line is, may need some minor reconditioning. (laughs) Hello. Please, shut up. You know, you talk about that Mercedes 6.3. That was an amazing car because I think, like you said, I think 68 was the first year for that and 71 was the last year. But they were rated as the fastest four-door sedan at the time, right? Yeah, and it was only listed at 250 horsepower, but it had a lot of torque. Now, that's 6.3. That's... Go ahead. There was a a guy named Waxenberger who was sort of the uh, John DeLorean of Mercedes-Benz. You know, Mercedes-Benz in America, they had a six-cylinder carbureted engine with a four-speed on the column, and they were competing against Cadillac and Lincoln, you know, and the, and people thought, why would you pay more for fewer cylinders and no electric windows? No, no. So what Waxenberger did was he took the engine from the 600 Mercedes, right. the big, the grosser Mercedes, and he stuck it in the 450, stuck it in the you know, the regular four-door sedan body without telling his bosses. And he would roar past his boss's window with this thing. And the boss goes, what the hell is that? He said, he had driving. The boss couldn't believe how fast it was. And then he told him, they said, All right, well, let's just build a few of them because nobody's going to buy this. And, of course, I think they only built about 6,000, but for, for them that was pretty good. And it was sold out. It was a huge hit because, finally, it was a car. You know, in, in America, horsepower beats everything. I remember Don Garlicks, uh reviewed it for a Hot Rod magazine. He was stunned about how complicated it seemed at the time with, you know, fuel injection and overhead cams and stuff we could only dream about, you know. Wow. Let's talk a little bit about some of the guests that have been on your show. And I and, and we were talking earlier about motorcycles. I, didn't you do an interview with Keanu Reeves one time on, on some of the motorcycles? Yeah, the arch- I like Keanu. Keanu's a great guy. Keanu started his own motorcycle company. Uh, Keanu's always been a biker. Uh, British bikes. I remember when I in the '90s he would come to the Tonight Show on his Norton uh, 850, or was his a 750? I can't remember. But anyway, his Commando. He would he would drive that. We would always talk cars and motorcycles. And then he started this company called Arch Motorcycles, and they build the whole bike. I mean, 
It's not using anybody else's engine. It's the engine they designed in-house, and it's a very nice motorcycle. And, and tell us some of the other guys that you've had on your show that you find really, really interesting that are kind of in that same league, that same caliper, that kind of are true and what you and I would consider true car or motorcycle connoisseurs that you've interviewed. And, and Well, and, Tim Allen certainly is a, oh, yeah. a real car guy. I mean, Tim grew up in Detroit. He grew up around Woodward Avenue, so... He was involved in that whole scene back in the 60s, back in the day. So he knows his cars, especially American Iron. And, you know, he's got a Dodge team in and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and oh, he, he's the real deal. Seinfeld, Seinfeld, known, of course, for Porsches. Uh, John Hamm is a big car guy. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, uh, well, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger likes his, you know, he likes you know, I have this tank car, and he <laughs> goes, "Jabs, we have these guys. I want you to sell me the the tank cars, fantastic." You know, he goes, "I don't know," but so, yeah, he he's a he's a car guy. He likes interesting stuff. Um, yeah, you'd be surprised. You know, you know, who I just had on the show was uh, of Hall and Oates, John Oates, and uh, huge Porsche guy, uh, amateur racer, uh, very successful, and uh, he just had Rod Emery build him a custom three fifty six. It's uh, just beautiful. So there's, there's a lot of car guys out there. When you when you add your on your car collection, now you have the the, the warehouses down by the airport there in Burbank. Do you have mm-hmm. a fairly sizable garage at home? Do you, are there certain cars that you keep at home and and drive back and forth, no, or do you just rotate I, them? What, the only thing at home is what I drove home that night. Oh, really? I don't. Well, I mean, I have a couple of motorcycles at the house, but no, usually. It's my wife has a car, and then I, whatever I drove home that night, I, I, I use. Yeah. Okay. So tell us about some of the other stuff you got going on now, and I know you've been really, really busy. So you've got some other projects in the work that are not car-related, but they're TV-related, game show-related. Tell us a little bit about that, if you want to share yeah, some well, of that. Well, I'm, I'm doing a game show called You Bet Your Life, which is based on the old ground show show. And uh, that's on in diff- different times and different markets, usually on Fox affiliates around the country. And that's doing really well. We just got picked up for a second season, so that'll pay for some more oral changes and stuff. So that's good. Oral changes. And of course, uh, the uh, uh, Jay Garage. You know, on YouTube, I mean, I was thrilled. Mercedes Benz flew over to my garage. I was so honored. Two prototype gold wings. One of them made of magnesium from 1952 and 53. These are the cars that led to the production of the Gullwing because they were built as uh, race cars. And the magnesium one is amazing. It is so, it is lighter than a Lotus. And the magnesium is so paper thin. I mean, it really is an amazing piece. If you go to Jay Leno's Garage on YouTube and you can see it this week, it's, it's pretty cool. Now these are the cars that Rudy Rudy Uhlenhout was because uh, he was right, the, right. He was the right. top dog back a, then. Yeah, he was a great engineer. He had a road going version of of uh, Sterling Moss's SLR, the eight cylinder, that he would just drive on the street, which is almost impossible. I mean, it's incredibly fast by today's standards. Back in the day, in the fifties, it must have been like, oh my god, this is unbelievable. Some of the cars. So, uh, oh yeah, you did also did an episode with the Aston Martin. And it's now what the one that they used in the new movie was this. Tell us a story, story on that one. Well, Aston Martin built 25, what, what everybody calls continuation cars. Now. Okay. Uh, uh, and they built them in silver birch, like the DB5, which Sean Connery drove, and with all working gadgets, not real machine guns, but you know, uh, but a working smoke screen. Uh, a working bulletproof partition that comes up, you know, in the back that block out the bullets, you know, all that stupid stuff. Uh, you know, the revolving license plate, all the all the James Bond gadgets. I think they're something like four and a half million dollars a piece. But they are brand new DB5s, which is kind of cool. So, all right, so they, they've got the continuation DB5, they've got the continuation mm-hmm. Cobra, and there's, um, and I understand there's, there's uh, some other cars out there on the market. I think, um, uh, well, they're, they're doing blower Bentleys too. Well, yeah. Uh, um, so that's kind of interesting, and and you know their Jaguar crackdown. Jaguar uh, is suing anybody who copies their makes continuation Jaguar. The E-type. So I, 
No, it's uh, the C type and the D type. Oh, the C type. The okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's become a whole big thing, too. So a lot of replica builders are a little worried about that. What's your thoughts on Restomods? Now, I'm kind of a purist. I get it. I'm I'm I I'm all for period correct modifications. But one concern I have is, let's say, for example, like Dynacorn, they reproduce, you know, the Mustang bodies, the Camaros, and stuff like that. And actually, I've looked at the bodies. They look a little better. You know, they kind of comp they compensated for some of the shortcomings of the earlier cars, from a safety standpoint and a few things like that. But you know, down the road, you know, these cars in terms of value, they're not original. But they're totally modified versus taking an original car and modifying, or even take it to the next level because it's seen where they actually have, you know, they're putting electric motors in these cars. What are your thoughts on some of that? If we're going that direction, well, it depends what the car is. For example, uh, like Porsches are not rare, but they are valuable, and consequently, a lot of stuff that's not all rare things are valuable. You know, yeah. there are cars they didn't make many of because they weren't very good. That doesn't make them more expensive. Uh, I mean, to, you know, it's a free country. You can do what you want. I mean, to me, the retro mod concept, you know, I had a friend uh, who had a 65 GTO. And it's so funny because what you think was fast back in the day <laughs> is, oh, my God. It's not even. I remember Tim Allen and I. We got a Tim got a uh, got a '67 GTO with tri power, automatic, all the performance options, and I went and rented a Nissan Altima four door, and we did a drag race. And the Altima blew the doors off. <laughs> I mean, it, it was just it was, because it's like, you know, I, you know, when we were kids. I remember picking a road track and read the '66 Hemi Belvedere. Zero to sixty in six point three seconds, and I thought that was a misprint because back in the sixties, anything under ten seconds was considered pretty quick. Something at six point three that 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 seems crazy. Now you've got well, the Tesla Plaid is zero to sixty in under two seconds. So I mean, it's amazing how quickly technology has has marched forward. You know. Wow. So what is uh, some of the most unusual cars? that you have kind of had the opportunity to kind of test drive feature on your show and uh, you scratched your head. Well, scratch my head good or bad? Good, I mean. good. Um, well, I mean, you know, one car that we built as a shop, which is the car I always loved, was the Mazda Cosmo, which was the oh, yeah. first rotary. And that thing is great. I mean, it just, it's, that smooth, I mean, you know, a normal internal, when you get valve float, you can feel things, it starts to slow up as it's hitting the heat, as it passes its torque peak and all that kind of stuff. You know, this did, this just kept pulling and pulling. Um, there are some cars that are just fun to drive. I mean, to me, I drove Steve McQueen's XKSS, which was essentially... What the XKSSs were, they changed the rule Le Mans, at Le Mans, and Jaguar had all these D-Jags left over that couldn't run anymore because the engine was too big. I think they limited the three-liter, and those were a three-four or a three. Anyway, so they decided to make road-going cars out of them. That 1957 XKSS, that was one of the greatest cars they ever drove. Fast like a modern car, small. You know, it's so funny when you talk to kids and they think a light car is anything under 3,000 pounds. This was under 1,500 pounds. I mean, just crazy. And so consequently, every time you subtract weight, you just add horsepower. And this thing was really fast, was fun to drive, made all the right noises. That was that was an impressive car. I mean, these two cars I have this week on Jay Long's garage, the two Mercedes, uh -huh. that magnesium car... Oh, my God, for 1952, Jesus, it's fast. You know, I, you know, uh, and of course, the Duesenbergs. I'm a huge Duesenberg fan. And to me, that is the greatest engine of the era. You know, I would read about the uh, Mercedes SSK and all that. That was single overhead cam. And 
I finally drove one. I go, wow, no, this can't hold a candle to Duesenberg. Duesenberg will just blow the doors off this thing, which which it does. So um, I think Duesenberg, that XKSS, um, one of the cars. What made the Duesenberg so special? I mean, mechanically. Well, what made it so special was the, in unstupercharged form, it made 265 horsepower when a Model T had 22 horsepower. Mm. Uh, at a time when most cars could barely go a mile a minute, a Duesenberg could go 130 miles an hour. You know, with the superchargers, 320. I mean, all Duesenbergs were built in 1928, all engines. Um, it just took 10 years to sell them because the depression hit. But it was a 420 or 421 cubic inch, straight A, twin cam, four valves per cylinder. Uh, I mean, just an amazing motor. Uh, the crankshaft, each end of the crankshaft was filled with, with, um, within the, within the, the weights for balancing. You had mercury. So, that would slosh around and take out any sort of harmonic or imbalance. I mean, it was, it's an amazing car. Uh, it's probably one of the few cars in the late 20s that you can drive on the street and keep up with modern traffic. I mean, I did a, over 100 miles an hour on my Duesenberg a couple of times over the summer, and it, it's just amazing how fast it is. I mean, it weighs just about three tons. Ooh. Because they, you know, they didn't know the tensile strength of metal, so they just make it as strong as you possibly can. And you had a frame, engine, and frame were forty four hundred pounds without the body on it. Like I've got a Duesenberg chassis that I drive just as a chassis. It's just a seat, steering wheel, and the engine and transmission, of course. And it's it's hilarious how quick it is. Jeez, back to that Mercedes now. Okay, so it's the body is made out of magnesium. How did they actually? Because magnesium generally is brittle, you know. And so how did, exactly? How and did you they can't weld it? Although some, although some people can. How did and they build that car? Did they, how did they what? How did they build that? I mean, how did they conform everything? Did they actually build molds and build sheets? Uh, well, I, I I think so. It's hand hammered. I think that's how they did it. You know. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it is interesting. It's a fascinating piece of kit, this thing. It's just, it's you know, and you have the classic instruments and the classic look with sort of modern power. And it wasn't that powerful an engine. It was 180 horsepower, maybe 200 horsepower. But it was so light, and that's what made it win. It's a straight eight, right, in those cars, the early SLRs? No, it, no, no, it's a six. Oh, it's a six? Yeah. Oh. Gold wings were six cylinders. Only, only uh, Sterling had the SLR, had the eight, and Rudy's car, Rudy's SLR. His right, right, right. So, Jay, let me ask you this: What other? How often do you add to your collection? I know you've got quite an extensive collection with cars and motorcycles. How often do you add to it? Is it just something that kind of floats your fancy? Because a while back, I think there was an article about a little old Falcon, a '63 Falcon Sprint that was on Bring a Trailer, and I think you ju- you uh, you bought that, didn't you? That's uh, that's got to be ten years ago now. Yeah, more than that. Uh, yeah, you know that was always one of my favorites. Um, when I worked at the Ford dealership, that was the car that predated the Mustang by about a few months. They thought, would people buy a Mustang? You know, don't forget Ford had just had a huge fail with the Etzel. Uh, so that was you know the fifties, and then you figure three years to develop a car. So they thought, well, what's going to happen with this Mustang thing? You know, so. Uh, yeah, so that was. I forgot your question. What was it? What was the what? What? What the? What the? The last car that you bought and bring a trailer that I remember that I recall. Oh, was, the month, yeah, was yeah, the Falcon, the Falcon Sprint. So, so how, I remember the, the Falcon Sprint had the two sixty V eight and a four speed, and that was about as close to a sports car that uh, you know, with the exception of the Corvette, of course, that Americans could get. I remember one won the Monte Carlo Rally. And Ford made a big deal out. That's when Ford was pushing their big total performance package. You know? Yeah, the uh, big four twenty seven engine was then, and the camera and all that, and that and that little thin wall two sixty, which became the two eighty nine V eight. Uh, one of those with a set of Webers on it. That was the coolest setup ever. Wow. So, how often do you add to your collection? I mean, is it just uh, 
Whenever well, something there's no rhyme, there's no rhyme or reason. If something catches my eye that I like, ooh, that's kind of cool. Let me get that. You know, is there um, is there something out there that you've always wanted that's eluding you? No, I've been pretty lucky that way. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the Chrysler Turban car was the one I looked for for a long time, and I finally got one. But we uh, sadly the engine melted down on me, so we're we're now. Oh, you think you think parts are hard to get for <laughs> or whatever it is? Try that. <laughs> well, now wait a minute. You have a uh, uh, a three D printer, so can you like recreate parts well, for that? Y- well, yes, you can, but. You're dealing with alloys here of aircraft tolerance and aircraft, you know. Uh, the guy who developed the turbine engine for Chrysler, Dr. What's his name? Dr. Uh, Dr. Roy, I think it's Frenchman. And he came up with an alloy that is good enough for automotive use, but not good enough for aeronautical use. You know, turbine blades are extremely expensive. I've got a Honeywell LT101 uh, turbine engine in a car we built called the Echo Jet. And the engine used was $750,000 because the turbine blades are like just crazy. I mean, I mean, you're dealing with alloys that work at extreme temperature that have no, no liquid cooling of any kind. So it's, it's really hard to, to manufacture. So, that's what we're doing now is trying to uh we managed to track down a bunch of old guys who worked on the turbine project in the 60s and they're they're developing some stuff for us and it's going to be exciting we're going to have a brand new turbine engine by the time we're done are you going to do a special feature on jay leno's garage with it oh yeah we will will. well jay we're up against the clock i want to thank you very much for hanging out with us for christmas hey thanks for taking time dad i wish you and your wife and everybody a a very merry christmas say hi to bernard merry christmas and thank you very much and a happy new year also to see you next year have a great holiday bye-bye all right listeners that was just an amazing uh show again an interview you know jay's just a super guy the car guy uh, I don't know what else to say, but um, you know what? You can tune in here every Tuesday night between 7 and 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, and you can hear some fascinating, legendary interviews with some fascinating, legendary people in the motorsports world and on occasion music. Now, we got some musical guests lined up here soon, so stick around. They're going to be uh, maybe firing up their Stratocasters. In the meantime, everybody, I want to see you guys at some of the car shows. There's a lot of stuff going on. Enjoy the holiday. Spend a lot of time with your family. And uh, don't forget to check us out here all the time. Follow us on Facebook and uh, check out our website and spread the word. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, love your family, and Merry Christmas. Clearwater. FM 106.1. WDCF Dade City. FM 102.3. WZHR Zephyr Hills. FM 104.3. Listen.